0: On the third weekend in March in 1895, eight people met together to discuss starting a new church in this community. Now, you don't know these people. You might recognize a last name or so, but let me give you the names of the people who met. J.T. Robinson, Mr. and Mrs. R.F. Babb, and their daughter Amber, W.H. Merritt, Dicey Rogers, Louisa Durham, and Luana Babb. These eight people had a heart's desire to see a church planted in this community. And so 123 years ago, they came together to talk about that possibility. And and that day when they met, they met with a man named Dwight Isidore Spearman. Remember that name, Dwight Isidore Spearman. He was uh, a preacher, an itinerant preacher, which meant that he traveled from church to church to church, In that day, there was rarely a a pastor who had one church. They had usually many churches, and so he was one of those pastors, and he came to advise them to give those eight people some guidance as they thought about, talked about, prayed about starting a church, planning a church here in this community. Well, they decided that day to form a church, and not only did they decide that day to form a church, they decided to come back that night and have their first worship service. And when they came that first night and at the end of the service, 30 people came forward. The eight already grew to 30. 30 people came forward to place themselves under the watch care of this newly formed church. That's what we would call in today's term their launch Sunday. Their launch Sunday for this new church was March the 18th, 1895. What is today's date, by the way? March the 18th, 2018. And so exactly 123 years ago today, those eight people met to plant this church. Or I should say, maybe they did. The reason I say maybe is because the original church records were destroyed in a house fire in 1926. So our records are from 26 on. Everything before 1926 was destroyed in a house fire. So the date that the church was started is a little uncertain. Some say March the 18th. 1895, and that's the date I've used for many years as I've taught Discover Mount Airy, put up a picture. Our church was started March 18th, 1895. And then I had the foolishness to look at a calendar. You can look at anything in today's time on Google. And so I pulled up an 1895 calendar, and March the 18th is on a Monday. So I thought, ah. So I did a little more digging and found out that some people say the church was actually started on March the 16th. 1895, which is on a Saturday. You say, well, that still doesn't make sense. Well, in that day, they held services on Saturday or Sunday. It was basically, when could the traveling preacher come by? It was, he usually came by either on Saturday or Sunday. So, more than likely, we would probably say now that our launch date was March the 16th, 1895. doesn't really matter. Here's what I want you to understand. 123 years ago this, this weekend, we can say it that way. 123 years ago this weekend, our church was planted formed a new church in this little community. But the church didn't have a name. So some people to say, well, we've got to figure out what the name is. And, And again, there's a little disagreement because we don't have the original church records about who named it and how they came about that name. But we know why they named it. Do you know why Mount Airy is called Mount Airy? It's because somebody had the idea back in 1895, well, this church is located on what they called an Airy Knoll or an Airy Hill. Now, listen, you go out there today and the wind's blowing. It might not be blowing at your house, but you come out here, the wind's always blowing up here, right? Have you ever noticed, ladies, you got your hair fixed, you get out of the car. (laughs) They named it well, didn't they? Mount Airy. It's an airy knoll, and that's the reason we have this name. So now we have a, a name. Well, where in the world did we get the land for this new church? The first two acres of land and the first building came from a man named William S. Murphy. William S. Murphy is buried right up in our cemetery right up here. I spent a lot of time in the cemeteries and the graveyards this week looking at tombstones and such and, and um, found out that I did some research that William S. Murphy just really had a desire to see the gospel go forth in this community. He wanted the gospel story to be spread and so he donated two acres of land and a building that sat on that two acres of land so that we could have a church here. The building was described this way, a wooden frame, 25 feet by 50 feet, building with plain doors and windows. There was no bell, no belfry, with approximately two acres. That was the historical record of how they described that little building that you see on the picture behind me. William S. Murphy also, not only did he donate the land, and not only did he give us the building, but he also served as the lay pastor until this guy came on the scene. This guy's name is Reverend Dwight Isidore Spearman. Does that name sound familiar to you? I told you remember that name. Dwight Isidore Spearman was the man who met with the eight people to advise them, and he must have done such a good job, they said, well, why don't you come be our pastor? And so in 1895, he accepted the call to be the first pastor of Mount Airy Baptist Church. Reverend Spearman served as pastor of Mount Airy on three different occasions, 1895 to 1900, 1905 to 1908, In 1912 to 1914. So why did he keep coming back? Because the little church was struggling during that time. And he wanted to make sure the gospel story continued to be shared here. He felt strongly a church should be planted in this community. So he kept coming back. He served here three times trying to make sure that the church took root. And there was a strong gospel believing church in this community. By the way, he's buried at White Plains Baptist Church in Pelzer. I went and found his grave this week. And it may not mean anything to you, but as the pastor of Mount Airy Baptist Church, I wanted to go see the founding pastor. And I stood at his grave and I said, thank you, sir, for the sacrifice that you made, for your commitment to our community, and for making sure the gospel story continues to be shared in this community. Thank you. It's been interesting to me as I dug into our history to find out from the beginning, Mount Airy has always had a close relationship with the school's. In our community. In January of 1896, when our little church was only one year old, Cedar Wreath School, right down the road, burned down to the ground that year. And though our church was only one year old, this newly formed church opened its doors to the school because they didn't have a place to meet. Their schoolhouse burned down. So we opened the doors of our little white building. We said, you can have school here. Not only did we do that, in fact, the church decided to build a new building for the church and give the old building to the school. This church was only two years old. And we decided, let's give our building away. We'll build a new building, a new church, and we'll give the school our building. And so on the third Sunday of June 1898, this little church by that time had grown to 56 people, and and they gave away their first building to the school. By the way, they were meeting three services a month by then, had 56 people and three services a month. on on Sunday or Saturday. Now, during this time, something interesting happened. There was a young man who grew up in this little church that had been planted, and he kept hearing the gospel, and he kept hearing the gospel, and he got saved here in that little uh, frame church building. Not only did he get saved here, he was baptized here, and in 1914, he began to feel the call of God on his life as a young man. His name was R.F. Jones. And R.F. Jones, in April of 1914, surrendered his life to the gospel ministry, and and he became our first pastor called out of this church. We licensed him to preach. That church, Mount Airy, licensed him to preach. He was the first pastor called out from Mount Airy. Well, guess what? Dwight I. Spearman, he retired in 1914. Guess who they called as their next pastor? This guy. R.F. Jones became their pastor. The church ordained him, and he served here until 1917. Now, he's kind of my hero as I've dug into this, and there's a reason for that. He was a student during this... (laughs) Just see if you're awake. (laughs) R.F. Jones was a student during this time, a, a Bible college kind of a student as he was trying to train for the ministry, a young man training for the ministry. And he was a student at, at Six Mile Academy. Anybody know where Six Mile is? Well, he, that's where he went to school, was Six Mile Academy. And on Sundays, when it was preaching Sunday, that is when, when you know, it was time for the church to meet, on, on Sundays, uh, Reverend Jones would ride his bicycle from Six Mile to here to preach. Now, I googled it and with today's roads, that's 21 to 24 miles that he rode his bicycle one, one way on preaching Sundays to come here and to preach, because he wanted the gospel story to go forth in this community. In fact, his entire ministry another reason he's kind of one of my heroes his entire ministry, he pastored four churches at the same time. Now you think I don't have any hair. I'd pull out my hair if I was pastoring four churches at one time. But again, that was the day of his itinerant ministry, so each Sunday he went to a different church. Each Sunday he went to a different church, Mount Area was part of his circuit. And when it was his turn, on Saturday or Sunday, at least twice a month, he would come here and riding his bicycle from Six Mile and to preach here. For 24 years he did that. And I looked at this picture that you see here again, this, this old church. I've watched, or I've looked at this picture. We use it in Discover Mount area. I've used it for a couple of years now, and I never could figure out why there's a bicycle in the picture until I started doing the history. That's his bicycle in the left corner. And that's dinner on the grounds, by the way. All oh, You see all those baskets on the front. And I look at that picture, and I think, especially when I see that bicycle in the corner, I think, I wanted to make sure gospel story continued in this community. He'd ride his bicycle 21 miles, 24 miles, one way to make sure the gospel went forth. This man pastored 25 churches, four at a time over his pastoral tenure. And if you go up to our cemetery, he's buried up there There's his tombstone, and if you look on the other side, you'll see 25 different churches on the other side of the tombstone. Go ahead and flip the picture. You'll see 25 churches listed who gave money for that tombstone because they wanted to show their appreciation for that preacher who would ride his bicycle. Come tell them the gospel message. might interest you to know that even in the early days and years back, we sent out missionaries from our church the first missionary we ever sent out from our church was a lady, and I don't have a picture of her. I wish I did. Don't know a whole lot about her, except that I know her name was Mabel Loveland. Mabel Loveland grew up in this church. She, she was heavily involved in the women, what was called the Women's Missionary Society, and as she was involved in that, she got a heart for the world. She wanted to take the gospel somewhere else in the world, not in North America, but overseas somewhere, and so... It, She went to the Foreign Mission Board, what was called the Southern Baptist Foreign Mission Board, and applied as a foreign missionary and was turned down. Don't know why. Maybe they just didn't have the funds to send her, but she did not let that deter her. She joined an independent missionary society, and then she left and went off somewhere across the seas, and we don't know where, to serve as a missionary. The very first missionary to come out of this church family last one, two or, three, two or three things I want to tell you is that it might interest you to know it was not until December the 3rd, 1950, that Mount Airy became a full-time church. You know what I mean by full-time church? I mean they met every Sunday. Until that time, they were meeting once or twice, maybe three times a month on a Sunday or a Saturday, but in 1950, not that long ago, really, in 1950, they became a full-time church, meeting week after week to make sure the gospel went forth. And then as I studied the history of our church, I loved, I loved the kingdom mindset of our church family. Even through the years, our church family has had a kingdom mindset. Did you know that we helped to plant and start Slabtown Baptist Church right down the road? Some of you may have been part of that because some of our men, it was in 1980, and some of our men went and helped build that building, and our ladies uh, in our WMU, they helped fund the nursery and, and and give everything that was needed to furnish the nursery. And we, in, in addition to that, on three different occasions, we gave money to Slabtown Baptist Church to help them financially during this time as they were starting out as a new church. In fact, in 1983, I believe it was, and yes, in 1983, we took up a special offering to help pay off their debt. The goal was to get... Four dollars for every member, we had 400 members back then and we met our goal and we gave Slabtown Baptist Church $1600 out of our budget to pay their debt now the thing that's so interesting about that, you know what was happening here during that time, that was the same time we were trying to build this building I want you to see the kingdom mindset here while we were raising money to build this building, we were helping another sister church down the road to build their building and to pay off their debt our church has had a kingdom mindset for many, many years. During that same time, we also built a church in Rio de Janeiro because we have a heart for, to take the gospel to other parts of the world. We helped A couple from our church helped start other church, another church in Summit Heights Baptist Church. I mean, the story just keeps going on and on and on. But here's my point in telling you all of those stories. It's easy to forget that the church we have today was handed to us by previous generations. It's easy for us to forget that. Eight men who had a dream of a new church and that the gospel story would go forth. Or eight people, not eight men, but eight people who had a dream that the gospel story would go forth. They handed this church to us. A man who gave us the first two acres and our first building, he handed this church to us. The men of God who pastored multiple churches at the same time because they wanted the gospel story to go forth in this community. And some even rode a bicycle 20-some miles. They're handing us this church. We've been given this church by a previous generation. And those hundreds of other nameless people who we will never know, but who sacrificed and generously gave and worked so that the gospel story could continue here for 123 years. And one day one day we're going to hand this church to another generation. It's just been heavy on my heart this week as I have walked through the graveyards and as I have stood at the grave markers of previous people in this church, men who led this church, like R.F. Jones and Dwight I. Spearman. As I've stood there, it's been heavy on my heart. We're going to one day hand it off to another generation. And what kind of stories will they tell about us in the years to come? I don't know about you, but if the Lord doesn't come back, and I think he he may very well, but if the Lord doesn't come back 123 years from now, I want them to talk about this time frame and say something happened there that only God could do. That this church had such an amazing ministry. And it wasn't because of who the pastor was, but it was because of what God did in and through those people. Wouldn't you like that to be the story? You see, we're writing the story right now. Now, as I was reading the story of Mount Airy and what happened 123 years ago this weekend, I read another church history. Uh, It's written by a man named Luke. You may have read his history. It's in the book of Acts. Would you open God's word to the book of Acts And really, Acts is a a church history, if you will. Luke wrote the history or the story of the New Testament church. And he tells us the incredible story of that first church. And as Luke tells us this story of that first church, he does something very interesting throughout his book, throughout his history that he writes. Time and time again, he pauses in the midst of the story to tell us how the church is doing. In fact, I counted it up he nine or ten times, depending on how you count the verses, nine or ten times as he writes and tells us the story, the history of the first church, he pauses nine or ten different times in his story to tell us kind of this is how the church is doing at the moment. To, this is the condition of the church. One of those is found in Acts chapter nine, verse thirty-one. Acts chapter nine, verse thirty-one. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen, but here's what it says. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. What I want to do today is just simply unpack that verse for you. I just, phrase by phrase, I want to go through it. Because I think there is a, a template here for you and I, if we'll understand what Luke is telling us about the history of this church. First of all, notice he talks about the church. The church. When he's talking about the church here, he's not talking about a particular church in, in one location. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about what we would call today the universal church. He's talking about all the people of God, those who have claimed faith in Christ, the church. He talks about these were the original Christians. And if we'll look at how the original Christians responded and how they did church, it might help us know how to do church as well. So he talks about the church. Then he talks about the church throughout Judea. Galilee, and Samaria. In a relatively short time, the gospel had spread. The church that was in Jerusalem spread to Judea, and it spread to Galilee, and it spread to Samaria. In a relatively short time, the gospel story continued to be shared, and it continued to spread. In fact, if you look at those geographical locations, it really follows the pattern laid out for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Take the gospel, start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And it's exactly the way that the gospel story unfolds. Now, look at the Bible again as we just go verse by, or verse, phrase by phrase through this verse. It says that this church, that, where the gospel story had spread to Judea, Samaria, and Samaria, it said it also enjoyed a time of peace. Persecution that they had experienced in chapter 9 and chapter 8, the persecution had ceased. You know why the persecution had ceased? If you read chapter 9, it's because the persecutor got saved. Saul was the persecutor of the church in Acts chapter 8 and, and, and Acts chapter 9. And, and he has, he is intent on stopping the gospel story. He is intent on silencing Christians. He does not want the gospel story to go forward. But guess what? God in His sovereignty, God in His providence, God in, uh, uh What's the word I'm looking for? He, what did you say? Inter- thank you. God intervenes. I don't know why it was not there. God intervenes, and all of a sudden, the persecutor of Christians becomes a Christian. The wolf becomes a sheep. He becomes one of them. And so guess what's happening now to the gospel story? The man who wanted to stop the gospel story, now the gospel story continues to go forward. And now it's not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but now this man is going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I mean, God is amazing. So the gospel story continued to spread. It was a time of peace for the church because the persecutor had gotten saved. They grew spiritually and numerically during this time. And so as I read that, as I looked at that, I thought, how can we make sure that happens in our life? How can we be sure that this kind of thing that happened in the first New Testament church is happening in our church? So I want to give you two things today that I I saw in this text to make sure that the gospel story continues to spread where we live. We know as we look at the text that it spread in Jerusalem and it spread in Judea and it spread in Samaria and it spread to the ends of the earth. But how can we make sure it spreads where we live? Well, There's two things. I think this is a template for us. Two things for our church and for you and me. First of all, We need an upward focus. If it's going to continue, if the gospel story is going to move forward, we need an upward focus. Would you say that phrase with me? We need a what? I'm going to tell you why we need an upward focus. Look Look at your pastor. I'll tell you why we need an upward focus. Because the work God has called us to do is a work only He can do. And if we try to do this work on our own, if we try to do this in our own strength, with our own ideas, and our own dedication, eventually all of that gives out. Eventually, all of that runs dry. Eventually, all of that will end. You can begin with great excitement, but if there's not an upward focus, you will end with deadness. And So let me show you the upward focus of this first New Testament church. It says in the text, you might want to underline it, that this church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what what Luke is telling us, there was more than human forces at work in this church. More than human forces were at work here. Something else was, was energizing these people. Something else was helping these people. This was, they were not just going to church. They were living their lives transformed by the gospel. They were not just going through the motions. They were living in fear of the Lord. They were living in relationship with the Lord. They're, they're, they had an upward focus that energized them to do what God had called them to do. It's so evident when you read the history of this church. But let me give you a few examples real quick. perfect example is found in Acts chapter 4. Would you quickly go over to the left and find Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 18. Peter and John have been arrested and they've been threatened. And it says in verse 18, Then they called them in again and commanded them. Notice this word, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus the religious leaders of all people wanted to make sure this gospel story of Jesus and his death burial and resurrection that it was not spread any further they wanted as best they could to stop that gospel story so they commanded Peter and John to stop spreading that story and us for sake of time skip down to verse 23 on their release Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them again for sake of time skip down Down to verse 29. What do you do when you've been threatened and commanded to stop? Well, look what what they did. Verse 29. Now, Lord, they're praying. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They had an upward focus. God, if you don't enable us, if you don't empower us, God, if you don't help us, the gospel story will not continue. God, we've been threatened They want to stop what we're doing, but we want to make sure the gospel goes out. But God, we need your help. They had an upward focus. Look down in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, if you're going to live out What you say you believe, ladies and gentlemen, if you're really going to live out the gospel, you must have an upward focus because apart from God, you won't be able to do what He's called you to do. The work of God that He's called us to do is impossible apart from the power of God. So we need, as a congregation, if we're going to hand this church to another generation... We need an upward focus. If the gospel story is going to continue in our church, we need an upward focus. Number two, we also need an outward focus. The Bible says in chapter 9, going back to Acts 9, verse 31, the Bible says that the church grew in numbers. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. It grew in numbers. They had an outward focus. They were concerned about those who were not yet part of the church family. They were concerned about those who did not yet know the Lord Jesus. They wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to hear the gospel that they had heard. They had an outward focus. And because they had an outward focus, the church grew in numbers. We don't have time to read all of these, but let me give you an example of how this church was growing in numbers. Look in chapter 2, verse 41. Chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted this message were baptized at about how many? How many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. They, they started out with 120, which is a pretty good sized group, and they went from 120 to 3,120. And then look what it says in verse 47 Praising God and enjoying the favor. Notice this word enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, they didn't do this, the Lord did this. The Lord added to their number daily. Those who were being saved. We don't know how many, it just says he kept adding to their church because they had this outward focus. They kept sharing the gospel and God kept honoring what they were doing. Look at chapter 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was on them all. With great power, they continued to have this outward focus. This upward focus and an outward focus. Chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And then finally, chapter 5. There's many more we could look at, but for sake of time, let's look at one more. Chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Don't you just love that outward focus? They never stopped day after day. They continued to tell others about Jesus Christ. And God continued, it says again and again, and God continued to add to their number daily those who are being saved. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was cutting grass. I, I've told you before, I do a lot of my best meditating, mowing the yard. It's just, I I'm, I'm, try to meet with the Lord at other times too, but there's just something about when it's me and my lawnmower and the Lord. We just kind of hang out together. And as I was mowing the yard yesterday and thinking about a lot of this stuff, how the church sharing the gospel, the gospel story continued to go out, and the Lord continued to give favor, and the Lord continued to add daily, this thought came to my mind. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. And the thought that he placed in my mind was this. You experience the favor of God when you focus on doing the will of God. You really do, don't you? You experience the favor of God when you focus on doing the will of God. That's the only way you explain the first New Testament church. When you start reading their history, the, the, the book called the Book of Acts, when you start reading their history, the favor of God was all over them. Why was the favor of God so strong on them? It's because they were seeking to do the will of God. They had this upward focus and this outward focus that would not be denied. So I've got a challenge for you today. This is the first of a three part series, and the series is simply called The Gospel story continues got a challenge for you today this year i'm going to challenge you throughout this year to do two things I'm, I'm going to unpack it for you more next week and the next week and maybe a month or two from now but i'm going to challenge you to do these two things to think like a missionary and to live like a missionary what happen if we did that think for a moment what would happen if you did that what happened if you, if you began to think like a missionary and live like a missionary? What about where you live in the neighborhood you live in? Well, what if you thought like a missionary in that neighborhood and, and you live like a missionary? What about where you work or where you go to, to, to the ball field with your kids? What about if if you thought like a missionary thinks and live like a missionary lives? Again, I'm going to unpack that for you more next week, but just think of the impact it would have if if, if all of us just kind of said, that's what I'm going to do. It's so simple I could do that. I'm going to think like a missionary. I'm going to live like a missionary. Now, now everybody look here. Everybody look here. I want to ask you a question. If we had a missionary that we sent off to Boston or to Cleveland or to Thailand or wherever, if we had a missionary that we sent off and they never shared the gospel... They never told anybody about Jesus. and They didn't seem to be very concerned about the people in their neighborhood. They didn't seem to be very concerned about people that they connect with. Uh, They they just never seemed to really do a whole lot with, with the gospel message. If we sent a missionary like that, I think eventually we would do one of two things. We'd either call them home and say, You're not living like a missionary. You're not thinking like a missionary. We're not going to support you anymore. We'd either call them home or we would say, you're not a missionary. You're a tourist. You're a tourist. Because you're not sharing the gospel in the place where you live. You're not, you're not living like a missionary or thinking like a missionary. You're, you're, you're not engaging lost people anywhere. You don't have an outward focus. What kind of a missionary are you? What kind of missionary are you? God help us if we think missionaries are just the ones we send out somewhere else. What if God wants us to think like a missionary here and live like a missionary here? Well, preacher, I don't know about that. And I, I think that's what I pay you for. And I don't, you know, I don't know how to do all that stuff. I, I, I get all that. I get all that. Would you at least entertain this idea this week? Would you at least this week in your neighborhood think, if I were a missionary, what would I do in this neighborhood? When you go to your office, when you go to the ball field, when you go to school, if I were a missionary, how, what would I do here? What if you started thinking like a missionary and living like a missionary? I want to show you this last picture. It's that, that picture of the old church. I just love this picture. I want you to look at this picture from the early days, the first days of our church. I don't want you to look at me, I want you to look at the picture, because there's something I want you to, to hear me say, but I don't want you to be focused on me, I want you to be focused on the picture. So everybody, eyes toward the picture. Now let me tell you something, as you look at that picture. God changes his workmen, but his work goes on. None of those people are alive today. That pastor who rode his bicycle, he's buried right up here. God changes His workmen, but His work goes on. We are privileged to be part of what God began in this community in 1895. We are privileged to be a part of what God has done in this community for 123 years. God changes His workmen, but His work goes on. The gospel story has to continue. Because for 123 years... The gospel story has continued right here. So I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to push you, and I'm going to challenge you. I'm just going to ahead and warn you right now. I'm going to push you and challenge you perhaps in a way I haven't done in a long time, and I'm going to unpack it for you in days and weeks to come. But I want us to do two simple things, to think like a missionary and live like a missionary, because my heart's desire is that, gospel, is that the gospel story continues to go forward from this place. the workmen move off the scene but the work continues amen let's pray about that oh Lord 123 years ago you brought a group of people who had a heart to see a church planted right here. And for 123 years, that gospel story has gone out. Sometimes with great sacrifice. And great effort. God, I just pray that you will do a work here that would, you would convict us and convince us to have that upward focus and that outward focus. And I pray that as we do that, those two simple things, as we think like a missionary and live like a missionary, God, I pray that you would do something that we couldn't explain. You would do something that would be evident that you are working through the power of the gospel. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to talk to you for a second before we begin this invitation. You don't know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that you can have a relationship with God. You can have all of your sins forgiven. You can have a relationship with God, and you can go to heaven one day when you die. But it's not because of how good you are. It's because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for your sins. And the hope of the gospel, the reason we call it good news, is that it is open to anybody. It's an opportunity for everyone. So if you would like to receive Christ as your Savior today, I want to invite you to come and do that. You say, how do I do that? Will you just walk down to where I am, and without embarrassing you, we'll kneel down here and I'll pray with you and help you pray and receive Christ as your Savior. But also with every head bowed, every eye closed, church, could I ask you a question? Individually, I want to ask you this question. Honest before God, do you have an upward focus? Are you trying to do anything for God? that really demands His help. In other words, are you trying to do anything right now that if God doesn't come through, it's not going to get done? Those are scary things and scary times. It takes a lot of faith to say, God, I'm going to step out. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this for the sake of the gospel. Now, are you doing anything that requires an upward focus? I hope that you are, but if you're not, would you come to this altar and say, oh, God, forgive me? Forgive me for being so complacent and just going through the motions and going to church and not trying to see lives changed. Also, could I ask you this question? Do you have an outward focus? Honestly, before God? I mean, are you really concerned about people who are lost who don't yet know Him? Do you have an outward focus that when you meet people, your, your antenna goes up, I wonder if they know the Lord? If not, if you're honest before God, say, Pastor, I really don't have that that outward focus. Would you come during this invitation and and on the altar and say, God, forgive me. And God, would you help me to think like a missionary this week? And God, it scares me to death, but would you help me to live like a missionary this week? Father, I pray that we will intentionally, intentionally live in such a way that the gospel story can go forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.